morning, Africa, and welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Bungani in Washington. Today is Thursday, July the 7th, and here are some of the stories we're covering for you this morning. Nigerian prison authorities say armed men attacked a medium security prison in the capital, resulting in the escape of hundreds of inmates. We don't know how many were killed among the attackers. But it's quite possible that we took their other casualties with them. But uh, on our side, just one casual, one uh, death and about three injuries. And South African President Cyril Ramaphosa delivered the eulogy Wednesday at a funeral for 21 teenagers who died at a bar last month under mysterious circumstances. Today we shed bitter tears for the 21 young lives we have lost. We must ensure that there is justice for them. We do not want more parents to get a call in the middle of the night about the death of their child. And pre-election campaigns for Senegal's legislative elections began in May. And since then, Reporters Without Borders has recorded multiple incidents of harassment and violence targeting journalists. We'll have those stories and more coming up right here on Daybreak Africa. Stay tuned. And for our top story, Nigerian prison officials say that armed men attacked a medium security prison in the capital Tuesday night, resulting in a mass escape of inmates. Authorities said the attackers were eventually repelled by security forces. The prison holds high-profile criminals, including former government officials and Boko Haram militants. The attack happened just hours after gunmen opened fire on a security convoy of President Mohamedou Buhari in his home state of Katsina. That attack was also repelled. Timothy Obiezu reports from Abuja in Nigeria. The Abuja prison attack is the latest incident in a series of widespread violent episodes perpetrated by armed gangs in Nigeria. Heavily armed men invaded the facility late Tuesday shooting and detonating explosives. Officials say one prison officer was killed and some 600 inmates were freed by the gunmen before they were repelled by state security forces. There was heavy security at the prison Wednesday as authorities say they have begun searching for missing inmates. Officials say up to 300 escapees have been recaptured. Shwaib Belgore is the permanent secretary of the Ministry of Interior. We don't know how many were killed among the attackers, but it's quite possible that they took their injured and other casualties with them. But uh, on our side, just one casual, one uh, death and about three injuries. On Wednesday, relatives of inmates gathered at the prison yard hoping for updates from authorities. No group has claimed responsibility for Tuesday's attack, but officials suspect terror group Boko Haram. The Kujay Medium Security Prison is home to hundreds of inmates, including high-profile officials and some captured Boko Haram insurgents. Nigeria's top police officer, Abba Kiari, who was indicted in a money laundering case with international fraudster known as Hush Puppy, was among those held there. 
Kuche resident Asabe Isa says she heard explosions and what sounded like shelling. The sound I heard was like a blast because the house vibrated a bit. Then after five minutes, the second blast again. Nigeria has seen increasing attacks across many regions on a almost daily basis. Hours before the prison attack, armed men ambushed the president's convoy on its way to his hometown in northwestern Katsina State. The president was not in the convoy, but two other people were injured. Security experts say the spate of attacks is an indication that authorities have not handled security matters seriously. Senator Irebu is a security analyst. This is a very serious uh, intelligence failure. Our uh, security breach is more audacious, especially to the number one um, um, prison um, center in the country when it comes to the issue of uh, terror housing or um, uh, terrorist inmates or suspects. Since 2020, armed groups have freed more than 5,000 prisoners in several attacks. Timothy Obiezu for VOA News, Abuja, Nigeria. Debrick Africa continues as Nigerians prepare to head to the polls next February for the seventh time since the return to multi-party democracy in 1999. A number of presidential aspirants have joined the rest vying for the top office. The candidates include former Lagos Governor Bola Tinubu of the ruling All Progressives Congress APC and former Vice President Atiku Abubakar from the main opposition People's Democratic Party, PDP. They will be contending for votes with other candidates, including Prince Adewole Adebayo of the Social Democratic Party. That's the party of the late Chief Mashud Kayote Abiola, who was widely believed to have won the annulled elections of June the 12th, 1993. And as Nigerians struggle with the impact of the coronavirus pandemic and rising food and fuel prices, Prince Adebayo tells me that Nigerians are looking to change the political status quo, which explains why his party selected him, a political novice, as the party's flag bearer. Nigerians know that we want to change the status quo. Everything we've done uh, from the beginning, from the way we organize our party, uh, a, a party that doesn't want to change will not take a first-timer like me. They will, they have, they, my political party has an opportunity to take any of the big uh, wigs of, uh, of the political the system, career, the career, career politician, yeah. and try to win easily. But they, we, we thought that it's better to start afresh, it's better to go to the people, it's better to do the long work, but when you get to power, the lives of the people will change for good. Are, are you worried that being a newcomer, a non-career politician, just like, you know, uh, the late Mashud Abiola yourself, you probably find or meet the same challenges that he met? In we're already, yeah, we're already meeting the challenges. The only difference is that right now, Nigerians have had 30 years to test the status quo. So the people are on our side. And the people, even in uh, 1993, the people were on the side of the SDP and they were on the side of MQ Abiola. He won overwhelmingly. He won the majority of the states in the country. But at that time, it was a military rule. And for some reason, uh, it was easy for the military to just use power, a muzzle power. And the people resisted over the years, and the country went sanctioned by almost every international organization. But this time around, it's, uh, we are dealing with a civilian government 
has behaved badly in government. They don't have the capacity to stop the people like the military did. And what they can do is to try to deceive the people. Mm. And the people have been so deceived that they who are deceiving the people have run out of tricks. Just even before they say anything, the people already know that these people are just coming to deceive us and they're trying to kill behind us. So our challenge is to actually uh, take advantage of the time that we have to put good policies in place so that when people support us as they're supporting us and we get into government, they will not be disappointed in the slightest of ways because Nigerians have had 62 years of uh, serious disappointment mm. and I think we should put a stop to that. Now, in 2020, thousands, if not millions, of young Nigerians, Nigeria is one of the youngest countries on the continent, yeah. uh, took to the streets to protest police brutality. The answers, the hashtag answers movement uh, that captured the world attention. What is your view on how the government responded to the demands of these young people? The government did not respond like a government. The government responded like an enemy. And that's, in the first place, the protests shouldn't have taken place at all. Because what the young people were asking for was very basic. Decent policing, justice, rule of law. It, not typically in a civilized society, it is the government that preaches rule of law and law and order. But in the case of Nigeria, the most lawless entity is the government. So it's even the ordinary people reminding the government of law and order that your police should not brutalize people, your police should not set people up, they should not plant uh, contrabands in people's bags and all of that, they should not confiscate people's property without trial. And those things, when the government is told about those things, the proper government will look into it. The, the kids are not supposed to be on the street for so long for such a basic rational demand. But the government is incapable of... Uh, uh, behaving like a government, and that's the problem. So the government did not respond well, and many of the young people now are in our party. In fact, the largest branch of our party is Lagos State, and the chairman of Lagos State was the uh, head of the NSAS in Lagos at that time. So we are now channeling that energy from protesting on the street to actually putting uh, the wrong government out of power. Prince Adewole Adebayo of the Social Democratic Party he joined me at the studio here at the VOA headquarters in Washington. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa delivered the eulogy Wednesday at a funeral for 21 teenagers who died at a bar last month under mysterious circumstances. Investigators say the teenagers likely were poisoned by something they ingested, while some reports indicate a gas leak may have been responsible. Vicky Stark reports from Cape Town. Colorful bouquets adorned coffins of 19 of the victims. All were empty, according to the Reuters news agency, as police were still investigating what caused the deaths. Reuters reports the other two victims have already been buried by their families. More than a week ago, the lifeless bodies of the 21 youths, the youngest of whom was just 13, were found slumped over chairs and tables at an East London bar while others died on the dance floor. For the funeral Wednesday, a massive tent was especially erected on the Scenery Park sports field. Relatives and friends paid tribute. He loved sport. He played soccer at school. 
He suddenly passed away on the 26th of June, 2022. He will be deeply missed by his family, friends, and all those who knew him. In his eulogy, President Ramaphosa said while the cause of death was still unknown, the tragedy put a spotlight on underage drinking and alcohol abuse. Today we shed bitter tears for the 21 young lives we have lost. We must ensure that there is justice for them. We do not want more parents to get a call in the middle of the night about the death of their child or be asked to come and identify their child who has passed away due to alcohol abuse. We do not want any parent to experience this type of pain anymore. He said since the tragedy, there had been calls for the legal drinking age to be increased from 18 to 21. He believes there should be a national debate on it. He also called on marketers of alcohol not to target young people. Many years ago, when government embarked upon a program to reduce the harm caused by tobacco, cigarettes, government was heavily criticised and met with enormous resistance. Today, we take it for granted that the anti-smoking laws exist and they are being complied with by the majority of our people. A similar approach, matched by the necessary interventions, is needed to reduce the harm of alcohol abuse amongst our young people. Ramaphosa also appealed to mayors to set up committees to look at substance abuse in all municipalities of the country. He also called for better implementation of the country's laws. We mourn with you and we will walk this road with you. What you can be sure of is that following this tragedy, we are going to act as a government. A stampede has been ruled out as a cause of death, but there's no word on how much longer the investigation will take. Vicky Stark for VOA News, Cape Town, South Africa. A Sudan expert says the civilian components of the country's pro-democracy movement should take advantage of comments made earlier this week by military leader General Abdel Fattah al-Burhan and put their stamp on determining Sudan's future. In his speech Monday, General al-Burhan said that the military was withdrawing from political dialogue being facilitated by a trilateral mechanism to allow for the formation of a national unity government. The Freedom of Forces for Change, FFC, has rejected the gesture, saying al-Burhan refused their demand for security reform. Suleiman Baldo is senior advisor on Sudan and the Horn of Africa at the Sentry, an investigative and policy group. He tells VOS James Barty that while General Al-Burhan is not the most credible person when it comes to democracy in Sudan, his speech can be seen as an indirect admission that the military has failed to impose itself on the people. Lieutenant General Abdel Fattah Al-Burhan, who is the head of the coup d'etat authorities in Sudan, of October 2021, made a statement, a surprise statement, a couple of days ago, in which he stated that the military as an establishment is withdrawing from ongoing dialogue, which is facilitated by a tripartite mechanism of the United Nations mission in Sudan, together with the African Union and the sub-regional organization, the IGAD. And he said that this mechanism should 
focused now on facilitating dialogue among civilians so that they can reach an agreement on what they want to see happening with regard to implementing Sudan's transition to democratic rule. But Suleiman, General Buran said in his speech that uh, he would like for the uh, political and the other revolutionary forces to come together to form a government of uh, independent national competency. But you are saying that uh, he's taking the back door to continue to rule. The message, you know, basically could be seen as positive, except that the person who's delivering it does not have any legitimacy and no one trusts in his sincerity. You know, the military have been saying that this is their intention from day one after fall of Bashir in 2019. And in fact, they have come time and again to seek, uh, you know, controlling the political life and and the, the transition. And that's why there is no trust in what he said. However, what he said could provide the ground for civilian political opposition and civil society and the professional associations in Sudan who are at the core of this movement to really come together and dictate their terms to this abusive uh, military security establishment. They should take this as an opportunity to seize upon it because indirectly Burhan is admitting that he has failed in ruling Sudan or in imposing their authority on a population that doesn't recognize any legitimacy for their coup d'etat. So this was an indirect admission of failure and you know the civilians should seize on this opportunity to basically agree on a roadmap for the transition basically spelling out very clearly in no uncertain terms what the role and the mandate of the, of the military security establishment should be during that transition and in the political life of Sudan. So, Suleiman, therefore, explain to us the purpose of the continuing protest now. The continued process is basically asking that the military disengage from political life. They should go back to the barracks and be preoccupied with you know, the core function and mandate of the military, which is the defense of national sovereignty and national uh, territorial uh, sovereignty uh, of Sudan, and not you know, claim to control the uh, political life in Sudan. Suleiman Baldo is senior advisor on Sudan and the Horn of Africa at the Century, an investigative and policy group. He was speaking from Washington, D.C., with VOS James Barty. You're listening to Daybreak Africa on The Voice of America. Pre-election campaigns for Senegal's legislative elections began in May, and since then, Reporters Without Borders has recorded multiple incidents of harassment and violence targeting journalists. Reporters Without Borders spokesperson Sadibu Marong spoke to Ricky Shryok about what he says is a concerning uptick in violence. And during May, uh, what we have recorded is an incident. For example, a, uh, a journalist, a lady, uh, who, who works for an online platform, she has been, you know, attacked because she only has asked a question to, to one of the representatives of the uh, ruling party or ruling coalition. And, and before and after that, we, we were in June when, uh, when also a, a group, uh, a press uh, group, a group of media, uh, which is called uh, Future Media, I mean the TV crew, they have been uh, assigned to go and, you know, uh, to uncover a big gathering from the opposition parties. 
And those uh, parties that are supporters of that opposition coalition, they are, I mean, ruling party, ruling coalition supporters and opposition supporters, although all are making threats. Have opposition parties, uh, supporters uh, carried out violence against journalists? It was something, uh, let's consider it ra very rare. This new behavior from the opposition parties is quite new, is quite new. In the past, what happens, used to happen, it was that, I mean, uh, opposition people, they, they were more seeking alliance from the media, with the media, than they were trying to attack them. Does it signal kind of a broader worry uh, for the political climate in general? Yeah, it shows, I mean, how the uh, political climate is going tense. And uh, it also uh, highlights, you know, uh, the importance of, uh, you know, protecting all those uh, activists and journalists who are on the ground covering the election issues uh, and also giving the floor to both sides, you know. And the, one of the key things also is uh, to re for journalists to remain professionals, not to cover one side in, in, uh, uh, of the game, you know to give the floor and to be balanced in their way of, you know, uh, of their covering the stories, giving, trying, doing their utmost best to, you know, to cover stories, but giving uh, sides, giving the, the floor to, to both sides in the, in, the, in the elections, yes, for both parties, yeah. That was Reporters Without Borders spokesperson Sadibu Marong speaking to Ricky Shryok from Dakar. The Intergovernmental Authority on Development, IGAD, has resolved to enhance matters of mutual concern in East Africa. The member states are looking at a regional strategy to create a resilient and sustainable livestock sector in response to the effects of climate change. Members are also focusing on other challenges facing the region, including ending armed conflicts. Moreno Jambo has more on this story. IGAD member states held their 39th Extraordinary Summit in Nairobi on Tuesday, addressing drought and climatic change in the region. Among other matters that were discussed include the conflict between Ethiopia and Sudan. Speaking during the meeting, Kenya's President Uhuru Kenyatta called for closer collaborating in dealing with the challenges facing the region. Kenyatta says Kenya will actively remain committed to both regional and international efforts to ensure peace, stability, and development for the region, and that Kenya will use its position at the United Nations Security Council to address problems facing Africa. I do believe we have a shared vision to become a politically stable, peaceful, and prosperous region. And we know very well we cannot achieve sustainable development and prosperity without peace and security. Because we in Kenya recognize that our political and economic stability is dependent on the stability of the IGAD region. And that is why we will continue to invest heavily in regional efforts to secure peace and stability. Violent extremism, drought and armed conflicts are some of the challenges that IGAD member states say require urgent attention. IGAD's Executive Secretary Wokene Gebeyehu says drought in the region is threatening the livelihoods of the people. Over 40 million people in the Horn of Africa face severe hunger. It is my fervent hope that today also marks a turning point for IGAD as we go back to business as usual with regularly scheduled meetings of the policy organs and deeper engagement and participation of the leadership in these affairs of IGAD. 
with the backing of our member states, IGAD has benefited from the support of many partners across the world. General Abdel Fattah, we have both agreed that our two countries have plenty of collaborative elements to work on peacefully. Reporting for VOS Daybreak Africa, I am Moreno Giambo in Sacramento, California. And that's it for this edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending this morning with us. Until next time, I'm Jackson Vungani in Washington wishing you